are listening to episode 37 of Dave's Daredevil Podcast. No, really, it's back. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, the return episode. I am your host, J. David Weeder. You can call me Dave. And this is the show that talks about Marvel's Man Without Fear, Daredevil. Episode 37 is here. It's an episode that I certainly didn't think would ever happen, and I think many of you thought so too. It's true, I walked away from podcasting for a little bit, but I came back. And I'm going to get into that a little bit. I'll be honest with you, I'm going to be very brief on that. Because I could spend quite a bit of time on the subject of why I walked away from the show, why I'm coming back, but I'm going to summarize it very concisely. I had a few things to get in line with my personal life, with real life. Some of those are trivial, some of them are very relevant, and that's somewhat been done. So the show is back. It's, it's fairly that simple, but I will tell you about two things that really made my decision to come back solidify. First off is a bottle of wine. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show, but once I began this show, the first episode came out, I bought a specific bottle of wine to toast it, and it was called the Velvet Devil. It was a Merlot. I thought it quite symbolic. But I bought a second bottle later for what would be the final episode, and that bottle sat on the top of the fridge next to the original bottle, which is now empty. Come on, I'm not going to waste it. And I thought to myself, what do I do now? The show uh, never really had a final episode. It's over but no final episode. What do I do with that bottle? And that always stuck out to me because, well, I'm CDO. That's OCD in the proper alphabetical order. So with that, it bothered me a lot and enough to rethink my decision. Secondly was Robin Williams, which is a weird thing to say, but with his passing and the circumstances behind it and his battle with depression, I always thought about how he channeled that into some comedy gold and how he turned his pain into art. And a lot of comedians do. I'm not saying that's what I'm doing here. What I'm saying is this helps me feel better about myself, to have a project, to have something to construct. So when I do have those bad times, I have something to put my energies into that I feel is positive. And as I said, some of the things that that led to this were trivial. But if you take a lot of trivial things and you stack those up, suddenly you have something relevant. And I do want to clarify, this wasn't a snap decision. This wasn't one day I just flipped my lid and said, okay, it's done. I I was considering it just with the mounting amount of stuff and my lack of time management. But I'm happy to say my work schedule has changed. For the foreseeable future, I found pockets of time that have no impact to the real life. And so far, I've been productive. So overall, I will say this. Now that the show is back, the decision I made in July of 2014 was the right decision. Not one I wanted to make, but the right decision. The mature adult decision. And you may excuse my voice, I do have a little bit of a cold. Not too bad, but I'm trying to edit out the sniffles. But the plan is, with this episode, to pick up right where we left off with issue 179, and then continue the Frank Miller run on Daredevil for a little bit. I'm making an amendment, because sometimes you have to follow your muse. You have to go to the stuff that really makes you excited. And my muse is drawing me back to some classic Daredevil. I want to talk about some old Gene Colan, John Romita stuff. So I'm going to kind of tie off the 
Frank Miller coverage after episode 40. It's a good stopping point, and then we'll be jumping back in time to look at some old-school Daredevil with a few surprises thrown in. And fret not, eventually we will circle back to the last leg of Frank Miller's run and Born Again. But for the moment, I want to change it up a bit. I want to bring back that scattershot, spinner rack style of coverage from the early episodes. And I will be addressing emails. I have a few in the inbox. I'm definitely going to get to those. But for those that are coming back to the show, I need to say this. It's very important. You gave a lot of words of support, a lot of you. And I want to thank you for that. Of the two things I mentioned that brought me back, the most important one is the third one, and that's you. There were a lot of things that were said about the show, about me personally, that meant a lot. And... I didn't respond to a lot of them because I just don't know how to express that gratitude. And I mean that literally. Normally, if somebody gives me a compliment, I shuffle my feet and, you know, him and haw. But I want you to know, in no way, shape, or form was it unappreciated or unnoticed. It meant the world to me and I thank all of you for bringing the show back, for bringing me back to something that I enjoy and for being a part of it. Uh, with that said, we've got that out of the way. The show is back. It's onward and upward from here. Again, we're jumping in where we left off. And to be more specific, that spot is Daily Bugle reporter Ben Urich has uncovered some dirt on mayoral candidate Randolph Cherry, tying him to the Kingpin's operations. When the Bugle ran that story, it brought about Kingpin's ire in the form of a lawsuit, which Nelson and Murdoch are defending the paper against. But the linchpin of the case, a set of checks from Fisk to Cherry's campaign, have been lost, putting the case back at square one. So now Yurik is on the hunt for more proof. Meanwhile, Electra, assassin, bounty hunter, and Matt Murdock's former lover, has a new employer, the Kingpin. She's filling the void left by the incarcerated Bullseye as chief assassin for the crime boss. So Electra, Ben, and Daredevil are about to enter a world of pain, which is right where we will be picking up right after this podcast promo. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happening to you. You're... Angel. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hand. The Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You athletes can't change the way I can. That means I'm the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you, for I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the planet Earth is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. Fool, you're just a muscular freak, blind or hulk. Stop! You must not end on the castle of Diablo. My journey is ended. I think she'll sustain to the living drain of all elemental life. So speak, Galactus. Flame on! It's clobbering time! The Fantastic Four from the very beginning 
witness the origins of a legend. The Fantasticast, ffcast.libsyn.com. And we are back to look at Daredevil number 179 with the cover date February 1982. Looking at the cover, we have this cast against a yellow backdrop. It's a close-up of Electra's face looking at her sigh, which at the tip has Daredevil's tattered mask hanging from the end of it. And the text reads, Somebody had to win. And you know, I look at this and it's weird. I have so very little to say about this cover. It, it does its job. It intrigues the reader, it creates a sense of drama, but I think the composition is just straightforward enough to really speak for itself. The story inside, though, I do have things to say about. And the story is entitled Spiked. It's written and penciled by Frank Miller, with inks and colors by Klaus Janssen, and letters by Joseph Rosen, if you want to follow along. It's reprinted in Daredevil Visionaries Frank Miller Volume 2, The Daredevil by Frank Miller and Klaus Janssen Omnibus Hardcover, and Marvel Digital... Digital Unlimited, and Comixology. And jumping in, still on the trail of Randolph Cherry, Ben Urich calls his wife from a payphone, remember, it's the 80s, and heads to a rundown movie theater. Inside, he meets a contact with information on Cherry's ties to the Kingpin, but before the contact gets too much information out, a blade sinks in to his back. Electra is in the row behind Urich, and her sigh has just killed his contact. And she warns Ben that Cherry will be the next mayor of New York, and unless he wants to be as dead as his friend, he will back off. Electra warns Ben to stay in the seat, enjoy the movie, and think about how vulnerable he is. Let's stop there. This is this is a very simple scene, but it's effective. It scares the willies out of a person. Think about this in real-world context. In a movie theater full of strangers... How do you know the person behind you isn't going to jab you with a sigh? I know you're laughing, but don't rule it out. Now, looking at the first page, uh, Spiked is done in basically window blinds, the title itself. But as Ben is at the payphone, the person behind him saying, hey, anytime this week, is that Jack Kirby? And I'm not so sure about the people behind him because one guy is all bundled up. I'd be more worried about that guy than anybody else. Ben and this long-suffering wife, the woman who really takes a second seat to the story. This continues after the Miller run, because Ben is all about the story, and this is what we see in this issue because it's from his perspective, which gives us some unique moments that I'm really excited to talk about. Art-wise, Times Square is this blob of light, feeling claustrophobic. Remember, Miller wants the grounded, normal folks of New York to feel like they're trapped. Ben being of that persuasion definitely lends itself to that. So we're seeing this from a ground level as opposed to Daredevil swinging or jumping across rooftops. And as you look through the book, after you realize the event that's going to happen in the movie theater, you do clearly see Electra seated. She's visible, but like the rest of the crowd, she's very much in monochrome. And she's wearing the same disguise as when she went to the Citadel of the Hand, pretending to shop for things for her boyfriend. The one oddity is this red beam on the back of Ben's seats, kind of like a laser scope. Now, Electra isn't one for guns. I don't think she's completely opposed to it, but we haven't seen her use one yet. So is this imagery just to clue us in that something's about to happen? That I'm not sure. But it stands out and definitely gives you a sense of foreboding, even though it's almost subliminal. Now, when the killing does go down, I just want to point out that Electra silently, silently stabs through the plastic back of the seat, and then through the cushion, and then through the dead guy, through his chest. 
and yet his clothes don't rip. That's because this is a Comics Code approved book. And you couldn't really show a gaping stab wound in a book like that. However, there's blood. And I was really surprised to see actual blood. Because that's a big no-no. Not only is the blood present, the blade is completely red. Electra looks like she wipes off the blood on Ben's collar. And the scene ends with Ben covered in a cold sweat, just shivering, face full of shock. I mean, the dead guy is leaning on his shoulders, dead eyes looking up at him. And not the movie. It's riveting. It definitely lets you know that Electra is not around. It's easy to take for granted that there's a tinge of heroicism to her, but Miller wants to make sure we know without a doubt that Electra is a straight up killer. She's probably pulled jobs like this who knows how many times. This for her is any day of the week. You and I get stuck in traffic and complain about it. Electra stabs people in movie theater silently and walks out without anybody noticing because that's how Electra rolls. So now Electra's made a very clear message. How does the story progress from here? Is Ben gonna back off? Let's jump back in real quick and take a look. Later at the Daily Bugle, Ben contacts Daredevil, who arrives and tells Ben that the cigarette he's smoking will kill him. It's gonna be a theme. Ben shrugs it off and tells Matt about what happened at the theater, and Matt identifies the woman as Electra. Matt tells Ben that it's his responsibility to stop his former lover, and Ben asks Matt straight up, will you be able to? Ben doesn't get an answer because Daredevil is already out of there. And the next day, Ben gets a call from Cherry himself to meet at a midtown gym, where Cherry is working out along with two hard-bodied men pumping iron. Cherry insinuates that staying on this story will be bad for Ben's health, and Ben asks the hard-bodied men if they heard that. And the men gang up on Ben and pin him beneath a barbell, cutting off his air. Luckily, Daredevil arrives and lifts the barbell off of Ben, and then turns around and uses it to arrange the bone structure on the hard body's faces. Then Hornhead uses the barbell to pin Cherry down as he and Ben pretend to leave. But Daredevil listens at the door as Cherry calls the Kingpin to set up a lunch meeting the next day. Unfortunately, Matt is due in court and can't trail the Kingpin, so he warns Ben, do not try anything stupid to get himself hurt. So. Ben does something stupid and snaps pictures of the Kingpin and Cherry at a local restaurant. However, something catches Ben's attention. A bag lady at the restaurant's window. As Fisk's security chases her away, Ben trails her to an abandoned subway tunnel and snaps a picture of her face. Ben doesn't know it, but he's just snapped a photo of Vanessa Fisk. Okay, looking at these pages in the Bugle offices, I see a bit of artistic genius. Because the offices are very open, it's a big space, Ben is drawn very tiny. But with the use of light coming in through rectangle windows, rectangle desks, so on and so forth, it's turned into a very claustrophobic environment. The shots are paradoxical. By all means, there should be plenty of breathing room, and yet we feel closed in. And I was actually really quite pleased as where Ben is going through basically Matt's file. And one of them talks about Matt getting hit by the truck, going blind. And in one of the pictures is a headline that simply says, Masked Hero Saves Child. Miller, years later, would pick up on this panel, whether intentionally or not, and put that in Man Without Fear, in which Daredevil saved Mickey. If there's one thing I like, it's a bit of synchronicity when things come together. Daredevil chides Ben about smoking, that goes through the whole issue, ends up paying off in the end. And I like this moment where Ben talks about the run-in in the theater, and Matt says Electra's name in shock, and then turns around and conceals it. If this tale had been told from Daredevil's point of view, for one thing it would have been completely inverted, but we wouldn't have that moment where Ben, being a reporter, being a professional observer, 
catches Matt having this emotional moment, kind of this open hole in his armor. And it's such a nice bit of detail that Matt is still, at least emotionally, vulnerable. And then Matt ducks the question of, can he stop Electra? And the question is, when I think about it, can he? And that question has two layers. We're looking at skill level, and then we have the emotional level. Skill level, he's an opponent that's worthy, except that he won't take the extremes that Electra will. And I think potentially, yes, Matt could take Electra, and I'm going to discuss that a little bit more when we get towards the end of the issue. So skill level, probably. If he's not capable of it, then he doesn't fall short by much. Emotionally, I don't know. For as much as he tells himself that, yeah, the girl I loved is gone, that's not her. There's something where... Yeah, there's still a seed of that girl. The whole first impressions thing. There's always going to be an echo of a memory. And I'm sorry, but Matt, being Matt, being the compassionate person that he is, having that reservoir of great emotion, I don't think he could overcome it. But that's my two cents. Then we move to the gym, where there are Speedos. First question I have is why. Why Speedos? Why do they exist? Why are you doing this? But secondly... We have Ben talking to Cherry, and Ben's not recording the conversation. Professional reporter, someone who carries his own byline in a major New York newspaper, is not recording a conversation with not just the subject of his story, but somebody who is bringing litigation against his employer. Any conversation in that, just common sense speaking, should be recorded, if not for a story, then to protect himself. And of course it turns bad, and had Ben been recording, he would have caught Cherry doing these threats. He would have caught the muscle-bound men turning on him, and ladies and gentlemen, nestled in these muscle-bound men is a bit of a cameo by future NES star Karnov. He's got the mustache. He's not spitting fire yet, but give it time. That's right, all kinds of references I could make to this picture, and I make a fairly obscure NES game, because that's how I roll. However, I do have a bit of a contentious bone with this, because Daredevil lifts the barbell off of Ben. Sure, it's an intense scene, but we all knew Ben was going to be okay. Daredevil lifts it like it's nothing. That's a bit too much for me. Daredevil's not Captain America. And I'm not saying he's not strong, but he relies more on precision, on sense, on strategy, not super strength. I mean, he's well-toned, but it's an acrobat's body. It's made for agility, soaring through the air, not lifting huge, huge weights. And for some reason, I don't know why that took me out of the story, but it did. Granted, I like seeing people named Arnie hit in the face because they will pump you up. And as I mentioned, Ben does something stupid by not only not recording that conversation, but somehow going to photograph the Kingpin arriving at this restaurant in Little Italy. Now granted, he's hidden. He's, uh, I wouldn't call him safe, but he's, he's obscured. But still, how did Ben know which restaurant? Looking at the scene before, Daredevil says he's meeting at a restaurant. I can't be there. Never says the name of the restaurant. Now Daredevil is still ear to the door to hear this, Daredevil with his hearing, which means Ben can't hear it at all. He relies simply on what Daredevil tells him. Again, never mentions the restaurant. I don't know if that's nitpicking, because I guess it's something that moves the story along, but it definitely stood out to me, kind of like Daredevil lifting the barbell. And we get some nice pics of the Kingpin, because Kingpin doesn't take selfies, so he lets Ben Yurik do it for him. Although, I would think with Fisk's paranoia, he would have had the area swept. His security would have at least checked the alleyways, especially if he knows the reporter is after him and watching moves. I can't buy it, but I'm not going to dwell on it, because it serves to get us to Vanessa, who is chased off by Wilson Fisk's security. Yes, the irony is not lost on any of us. But poor lost Vanessa, who we've pretty much forgotten about at this point, makes her reappearance, and it will be incredibly important next week. But this week, we still have one more leg of the story to talk about. And I have much kinder words for this section of the story, so let's jump back into that. 
Later, Ben is spending time at home with his long-suffering wife who wonders if Ben is avoiding her. Ben insists that he is not, but as soon as he gets a call from another contact, he takes off again to a small diner. Ben's contact tells him that a lady that Cherry has on the side and that he meets with a few week times a week is at a nearby hotel. And Daredevil arrives without warning, and the contact pulls a knife on Hornhead. Daredevil explains that this information about the lady on the side has been making its way through the underworld very conveniently. And after disarming Ben's contact, Daredevil says that this must be a trap. So, the man without fear will check it out first. Daredevil rushes into the hotel, and the sounds of fighting reach Ben, who's nervously waiting and smoking on the street, and then silence. A long, almost unbearable stretch of silence. But the silence is broken with the sound of shattering glass and Daredevil flying out of a window and on his trail, Electra. As Ben rushes to the roof of the hotel, Daredevil and Elektra spin through the air, swinging on some phone lines, and they land in a nearby building that's under demolition. The fight is intense, but Elektra has been playing Daredevil all along because his foot breaks through the rotted floor where a bear trap snares his ankle. As Ben snaps photos from the rooftop, Elektra tells Matt just how utterly helpless he is. Then she kicks a derelict brick wall nearby, causing it to teeter and then fall on Daredevil, which sends him through the rotted floorboard into the basement covered by bricks. Elektra looks into the darkness below, but then she hears Ben's coughing. Ah, the cigarettes. Ben freezes for a moment as Elektra stares him down and readies a sigh. And even as Ben runs, the sigh flies faster, impaling him in his back and out the other side, through his chest. As Ben falls, the world turns black and he thinks... Lousy cigarettes. And you know, I mentioned these long-suffering wife a little bit earlier. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that. Ben has real problems, and I don't mean dramatically. He has problems you and I would have. They live in a fairly small apartment. His job takes a lot of time away from his wife. His wife herself seems very real and grounded. And you really get the sense for the first time that Ben is a full character. You kind of get Ben in a way that you never have before. This is his life. It's not perfect. It's not pretty. But it is a life. And Ben becomes somebody you and I might actually know in the real world. Although I have to add, when Ben meets his contact in the diner, the contact will be played tonight by Bruno Kirby, ladies and gentlemen. And then Daredevil shows up. Which is kind of a theme, Daredevil showing up when needed. He's done some detective work. But think about this, Ben might have really been screwed, because... I don't see any real survival instinct in Ben. There's the story, and then there's everything else. And judging by what we see, or don't see, I should say, at the hotel, yeah, Ben would have been toast. The hotel itself, when Daredevil rushes in, takes its cues from Jaws, because it ratchets up the tension by not showing us what's happening. We watch and we wait with Ben. We're the outsiders in this issue. We're the real people of New York, of the Marvel Universe, where people like Daredevil exist. We are Ben Urich. We know Ben's problems. We know what it's like to have to stand by the sidelines. But we don't have superheroes in this world. And Miller totally paces this perfectly because it's not a standard superhero story. We are watching from the sidelines. And then there's this long silence. Panels of silence. Ben's cigarette burning down. And then suddenly, shit gets real when Elektra shows up. Because she's on the job. For the first time, she's on the job when Daredevil meets her. So that means her mercy button is turned off. Electra's punched the clock. If you're in her way from her target, you're dead. End of story. And of course, as this fight's going on, Ben rushes into the hotel that Daredevil just came shattering out of. Goes up to the roof. 
Again, no survival instinct. There's him, there's the story, and then there's everything else. And I love, love this panel of Daredevil and Electra swinging in the phone lines. I look at it, it's a gorgeous, deadly dance. It's a ballet of violence. And I mean that literally, it is a beautiful shot. And it says a lot about these two. But again, Electra's on the job, and she's been in control through the whole fight. She's just been positioning him. And that tells me, going back to the question I had earlier on skill, that Daredevil actually had a chance if this was a fair fight. And Electra knows it, or at least senses it. Because she set up a contingency plan. Bear in mind, this was a target meant for Ben. Ben was meant to walk in. It was Ben that was meant to die. Yet, there was a very strong chance that Daredevil would reach this point. So Electra controlled her environment in every way, shape, and form. She set up a bear trap beneath a rotted floor and then got Daredevil to stand on that. Now, speaking of bear traps, she says she did not calibrate it to snap his ankle. And that's good, and I'll tell you why. For those not familiar with bear traps, what it is, it's uh, metal jaws, like shark's teeth. And in the center is this tiny pedal-like object. And the jaws, once the bear steps on it, snap shut. I've seen bear traps in my life. Luckily, not out in the wild, but... I had an uncle who brought a bear trap home and wanted to make sure I didn't mess with it because it's dangerous. And the way he did this was to put the bear trap into snapping formation and then take a pencil and just lightly, lightly touch the pedal. The bear trap snapped. This pencil shattered into dust where it collided. I mean, perfectly exploded. That could have been Daredevil's foot, but she took mercy and made sure to lower the calibration so it didn't do that. However... She didn't do it to be nice. It's an act of torture because she totally demasculates him. She makes him feel helpless. She stands over him and reminds him of just how screwed he really is and how much she's really been victorious in this fight. There's nothing he can do and she's enjoying this or is she? Because there's this look. Right before she kicks the wall, there's just one panel where Daredevil just looks completely obliterated emotionally. And Electra has this look of, I don't even know. I don't know what this look is. And it fascinates me. And it fascinates me because the colors change. On one panel, Electra's simply talking to Daredevil. Second panel is the close-up of Daredevil's face with Zipatone with this yellow tone to it. The colors are really playing havoc with this. Because this is an, a huge defeat for Daredevil. So that emotion needs to come through in those colors. And it does. And then we get this close-up of, of Electra, And it's colored in this cold blue. Looking at the page, these stand out because the rest of them are colored pretty naturally. These two panels are giving us emotion through color. I can't even put that on Miller. That's Jansen. And the color blue on Electra's face, it completely makes this ambiguous. Had that been regular tone, I would have just shrugged it off as she's kind of enjoying this. This is kind of getting her turned on. But that color, is she icy cold? Is there any emotion there? Am I seeing things? Is this mercy? Is this regret? And the thing is, I've looked over it again and again and again, and folks, I don't have that answer. It's open to interpretation. If you have thoughts on it, definitely send me an email. But Daredevil is screwed. And then Ben, the whole smoking thing that's been going throughout the issue, the chorus pays off. Because suddenly, Ben's back on the map. Remember, Ben is the target, folks. Ben is the goal. Getting rid of him is the main mission for Elektra. And she's on the clock. She's not screwing around. In fact, she even looks psyched when she hears him cough. And of course, he gets stabbed. We get the lousy cigarettes. Okay, we get the chorus. 
But think about how this ends. Ben is stabbed. Everything goes black. Daredevil's buried. He's got a bear trap around his leg and he's buried under a ton of bricks. This is one of the best cliffhangers we've had so far. And I would almost say one of the better cliffhangers in comics as a whole. And I thought to myself, this is going to pay off. This has got to pay off. We know they're going to survive. But how could they? How does this pay off? And we're going to see next week. So final verdict on this issue. Because I've had quite a few problems. I've had a lot of compliments. Overall, the story was told from Yurik's point of view, which gives us some new perspectives on him, on his approach. It gives us a sense of direction with this relationship, with this comic, as far as he is involved. And it's a cool issue because Daredevil takes a back seat. He shows up here and there when needed, but he's seen from a third-party perspective. So things like his reaction to Elektra stand out because we are on the outside looking in when normally we're used to being in Matt's head. The art is very much on point. The locations are richly rendered. The mood is oppressively smothering. There are nearly no rooftops or open space because we, like Ben, like the other people in New York, are prisoners of the city. We don't get to ride the billy club into the sort of superhero world that Daredevil inhabits. It's a fascinating issue, and it does move the ball forward, so we get a little of experimentation and storytelling, but the story doesn't lack for it. We don't get a lot of superhero hijinks, but darn it, we get an interesting story about Ben Urich and about New York, and about this world that Daredevil inhabits. And, you know, the first thought I had was, wow, it could have done more with the Daredevil Electra fight. But here's the thing. The confrontation between these two is not a physical battleground. It never was. It never will be. So Miller's restraint is applauded because he gave us the emotional seed, still seen from the third party, to realize how emotionally potent these two and their battle is. And that cliffhanger left me salivating for the next issue, but we have to wait seven days for that. For right now, email. I mentioned up front, I've had, I have a few in the inbox. Some of them were sent after the show ended, and I appreciated them. I'm going to respond to them personally, because I don't feel like those were meant to be on record. Those are personal missives, so I'm going to respond as such around the time this episode comes out. Since most of these episodes are going to be in the can well in advance, I'm going to be reading one email per episode, just to space them out. And this week's email is from Russell Bragg of Clarksburg, West Virginia, also the host of the DC Comics Presents podcast. And his subject line is, yes, I'm still listening. Russell wrote, Hi Dave, I just wanted to let you know I was still listening. I really didn't want to email again till I had a Daredevil Brady Bunch connection. I know you like those, but I just haven't been able to find any unless they're getting past me. Anyway, I've been enjoying the show and look forward to every Sunday to the next episode. As I write this, I have just listened to episode 35, your Daredevil Batman show. It was very good, just like any other superhero I like. I can't remember a time where I didn't know what a Batman was. The 66 Batman show, which I am fairly pleased is finally coming to DVD Blu-ray this year. The Super Friends, the Filmation cartoons, it was all there in my childhood. I didn't collect the comics as much, but I always loved World's Finest Comics. I guess because Batman and Superman teamed up in them. I even remember dressing up as Batman one Halloween. You probably remember those plastic costumes with the plastic mask that covered up your face and you couldn't breathe? Ah, good times. I just wanted to drop you a line to let you know I was still listening and learning. Russell Bragg? Clarksburg, West Virginia. And Russell, you don't need to wait for a Brady Bunch connection to write in. Please email in whenever you like. Even though it might take a while for me to get to it, I like the emails. Like you, I am very excited that the Batman 66 show is coming to DVD. It is magic. And I admittedly, it's not the most grounded adaptation, which is saying something kindly. But you know what? It's fun as its own entity. There was recently a Batman 66 marathon, and I sat down and just laughed. It was ridiculous, but it's meant to be. And it's great at what it's doing. 
And I've also been recently watching the original Filmation Batman cartoons, because I've been doing this cartoon block at night, where I'll watch the Filmation Superman, Filmation Aquaman, Batman, and then the Justice League shorts. And it's been a great time. That cartoon is a blast. And yes, I remember the plastic mask. Those were the standard costumes for many years. It was this thin plastic material that bodysuit of sorts. And then this plastic mask that, like Russell said, cut off your breathing for a while. Although I think that was intentional to cut the trick-or-treating short because of lack of oxygen. I myself had a Luke Skywalker costume of that sort. Several others. I think I believe I had a Superman at one point. But I also had my own Batman costume. In first grade, I had it. Now, this was made from a pattern. I mean, my aunt and my grandma made it. But they used a material that glowed in the dark. So the edges actually glowed. Very odd one. Now, as I mentioned, Russell hosts the DC Comics Presents show, which covers DC Comics Presents, which is Superman teaming up with a member of the DC Universe. And Russell is doing a very excellent job. And I urge you all to go check that out at dccpshow.com. Thanks for the email, Russell, and thanks for doing a great podcast. Uh, If any of you want to send emails, the email address remains dave at daredevilpodcast.com. And I say remains because of this in the interim of the show ending and its new rebirth here, deleted the original Facebook page because I really didn't know that I was ever going to come back to this. So I have reestablished it. Please, if you were a member of that page, feel free to rejoin. Just look out Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Please rejoin the Facebook page. I do apologize for that. And hopefully many of you have received invitations to rejoin. But once again, I apologize. I honestly didn't know the show was coming back. But you know what? I'm glad as hell it's back. Speaking of... Next week, we pick up this dynamic cliffhanger and the Randolph Cherry case comes to a head that is in seven short days. Until then, you know what's coming. Justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. He is the one they call a man without fear. Never far away whenever danger is near. There's never fight for what is right. You have been listening to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, which can be found at daredevilpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the show via the RSS link, iTunes, and other podcatchers. Or stream it on the Stitcher app, which gives you instant access to a wide range of audio programs. Email for the show can be submitted to dave at daredevilpodcast.com or through the website's handy contact form. The show is on Facebook. Simply search for Dave's Daredevil Podcast. And I am on Twitter as well. My username is at Dave Weeder. Weeder is spelled W-E-T-E-R. Daredevil and other Marvel characters are copyright Marvel Comics. Any music or sound clips are used for entertainment purposes only, and no infringement is intended. This show earns no money and exists solely for entertainment purposes only. I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening. Oh, he must hide his sadness and
Tonight, they're there for fun. 